0: Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode. I hope you are doing well. Here in the UK it has been a very stormy week and as I record this again you may pick up uh, the wind howling around outside and the rain smacking against the window so I'm grateful for being warm and safe in my office. recording this for you now. If you have been affected by the storms here in the UK I hope it hasn't been Uh, too damaging. I know a few fence panels and chimney stack that has met its match with the storm but hopefully nothing too uh, serious wherever you are. On this week's show I wanted to talk to you about some of the family business myths and perhaps some of the scare tactics that have been used in order to try and generate transactions, try and generate some form of action from family businesses and look at whether these are actually facts or myths or old wives tales and then look at my viewpoint on what we should do with these um, stats and the various sayings myths stories whatever you want to call them so I'll get into those in a little bit before that just to let you know this is the penultimate episode in this series next week I have a interview recorded where I am being interviewed by my friend and colleague Martin Stepek. I, as I said in last week's show, not entirely comfortable with being interviewed, um, especially on my own show. (laughs) It makes it um, a bit awkward, but Martin was fantastic. Uh, He's a good friend, so I knew I was in safe hands when um, we had our chat. And that's coming out next week. Then likely to take a couple of weeks break as I line up, record and produce the next series of the show, which is looking at a sort of redefining family wealth and uh, again, challenging some of the status quo around some of the ways in which advice is delivered to families and family businesses all over the world. So something to look forward to. Some great interviews lined up with some really, really thought-provoking people and uh, yeah i hope you enjoy that as i've mentioned before please do sign up to the newsletter i share articles um, videos podcasts various different things not just my own stuff uh, that i think will be of use so if you are working in a family business or you work with family businesses that should become a great resource for you as well And if you are enjoying the shows, it would be really nice if you could let me know via a five star review on iTunes. It really does help the show get found by others. And that really is my overall aim with the podcast is to try and reach as many family businesses as possible to let them know that they are not alone in navigating complex family dynamics whilst also operating a successful business. Right so let's get on with today's show and look at firstly the most common uh, myth I think that is peddled around family business and that is the succession statistics shall we say of family businesses. So the succession statistics that are often used as a conversation starter, shall we say, with family businesses, and they are often misquoted even in the way that they are presented, is that 30% of family businesses make it through the first generation, 13% through the second, and 3% through the third generation. Now these statistics are from a study that was done in the 1980s that looked at a particular set of businesses in a particular city in the United States and they looked at whether ownership remained in the same hands over a period of circa 90 to 100 years. And those statistics are what came out of that study. So what then is often used with family businesses is that only 3% make it to the third generation. So there's a slight misunderstanding in terms of what the statistics are actually saying, plus it's used to generalise across the entire family business population across the globe. Now when you compare those statistics to other sort of business markets, if you look at the startup market, there's again often cited statistics that 90% of startups fail. Most of those within the first three years of trading. If you look at the average lifespan of a business that is featured on big markets like the Fortune 500, FTSE or Dow Jones, the broad average is 50 years. So even if these statistics were true across all family businesses. There's almost a so what to it in in the sense that they are not out of line with non-family-owned businesses and also only look at the ownership of a single enterprise. But the tendency can be to use those statistics to try and force people into taking action around a problem that actually doesn't really exist. Now I'm not saying families shouldn't have succession plans or transition plans or business continuity plans, however you want to phrase it in order to to make it um, easier to approach. But what I am saying is don't use these statistics as the basis for forcing that conversation. Much better in my view to understand what it is as a family you want to do Do you want this to become a multi-generational business? Do you want this to become something that is able to provide opportunity for future generations? If that opportunity is to work in or own that particular business, then you can start making plans around how do you create something that is multi-generational or how do you enhance something that you already have in order to make it multi-generational. But in my view focusing on just making sure the business remains in family ownership irrespective of whether that's what anybody wants perhaps suits others rather than you as a family. Taking an alternative view if your ambition is to ensure that the business is around to support future generations in whatever ventures they want to take, then that's something else to focus on that doesn't necessarily mean that that single trading entity has to be in family hands for all of time. I actually saw an interview this week, I think it's an old interview um, with Mike Tyson, where he was looking at all the belts and awards that he'd won over uh, the many years of his career. And the person interviewing him said, this is history. This is, you know, the, a dynasty, a legacy that has been set out by you in um, your boxing career. Mike Tyson, I was quite surprised by his response, but he said, actually, this is junk. He picked the belts up and said, this is junk. This, At the time, it really mattered. But for him, what matters now is that him having his career allowed him to create a future for his family, for them to, to pursue whatever it is that they wanted to pursue in life, he's not forcing all of his children into a boxing career in order to continue that legacy. He's utilizing the wealth that was created and the opportunities that that creates for his family to allow them to be happy, and he is taking a huge amount of happiness from that. Now, I'm guessing if you just said that to him at the time of winning those belts, that actually this is more about providing opportunity for your family, he may have taken a different view which is why having these conversations over time rather than just as a one-off means that you're more likely to get more meaning behind those. The next myth that I want to bring up also has links to succession planning, and that's the kind of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generation rule or myth or saying that, again, is often used to Uh, perpetuate the idea that the third generation within a family business are going to cause it to um, fall apart to collapse having done a little bit of research into this saying I found that there were other sayings that were in different cultures that meant broadly the same thing which could mean that there is some substance behind it but actually if you look at some of the sayings and old wives tale that we have A a couple of examples are cracking your knuckles gives you arthritis. That is an old wives tale, is a myth. Fortunately for me that is not true because I do crack my knuckles uh, an awful lot. There's also one that's perhaps appropriate given the topic of this particular myth but that bad things come in threes so if two things have happened that are bad uh, you kind of wait for the third one to come along. Now that's not to say that that never happens, but the fact that people take that as a rule is just not backed up by the science or the facts in in that sense. One that I think is a really, really important example of that is the five second rule. When you drop food. There's this apparent five-second rule where if you pick it up and eat it, it means that wherever it's landed, there's no germs. It's all good. Now, for me, that depends on what food it is that I've dropped as to how fluid I am with that particular rule. But there is no substance behind it. It is just an old wives' tale that we've turned into a rule. And I was discussing this with a colleague earlier this week in sort of preparation for recording this episode, and he he used a very good example of if the typical weather in um, May, for example, is that it's sunny, and one year you get five days of snow when it's typically sunny, there could be a rule that says it always snows for five days in May, purely because it's done that once and it's an exception to the rule therefore it stands out much more than the general rule now that what inevitably means that there are families where the wealth has not lasted beyond the third generation I do actually know some where that has been the case so it's not to say that it isn't something that happens out there but it is also not a rule you're far more in control of your own destiny Than these rules would have you believe now again if the ambition is for wealth to be created that becomes multi-generational there are things that you need to do over time to help to facilitate that but don't be put off by the statistics that are saying this is bound for failure because of the generation that you're in potentially so if you're a third generation listening to this thinking crikey this this I've got a lot of responsibility because it's normally my generation that mess things up that's just simply not the case so take some solace from that and as I say by defining your own success and your own successful outcomes from what you want from either the family enterprise from life in general what positive contributions you want to have to society as a whole, using that as your definition of success, you can just completely ignore all this other stuff because it's simply not as relevant as um, a lot of people might want you to believe. If we take an example of that, and these are two fictional examples, slightly extreme just to highlight the point, but let's say that a family business reaches the second generation and conversations start to happen around how do we ensure the continuity of this business? As a family, we've decided that's what we want. We want the business to continue in order to have a positive impact on those that work in it and those that own it. Now, one example here could be that the family decide that as there is nobody in the family that wants to continue to run the business, and they want to ensure that it remains within the local area, local community, that selling part of the business to an employee ownership trust is the best way for them to ensure that that future happens. Now, they've obviously had lots of conversations in the lead up to that. It's not something that they've done over dinner one evening, but that has allowed the third generation of the family to utilise the liquidity that's created by that to follow their own passions their own dreams and live their own lives it's also meant that the family business part of it can be owned still by the family again in trust if that's um, the most appropriate way to to do it and so the employees own the majority of that business it's securing their future and it is ultimately providing a positive outcome for everybody involved in that process now under each of those definitions there could be an argument that says that is a failure from a statistical perspective because the majority ownership hasn't remained in a family business for more than the three generations yet everybody involved in that example an extreme example I get it but everyone involved in that example is happy let's take the other end of that where the third generation Feels the pressure of being the one that is going to bring the business down, bring the family wealth down, all that kind of concern from those statistics and myths, and therefore takes on a role as the managing director of that business, suffers the stress and mental health impact of taking on a role they feel duty bound to do, yet under the impression that it's going to lead to an inevitable failure anyway. And that helps perpetuate the situation where there is poor performance on their part. That passes down through the business, people are unhappy, it starts to actually create a self-fulfilling prophecy where that business struggles. Now, again, as an example rather than a specific case, but the point is, if you measure your success purely based on those statistics, the second outcome where everyone's miserable and the business goes into a downward spiral is more of a success in inverted commas than the first alternative, which um, everyone was more happy in. The final myth that I wanna cover on today's show, given that I promised with this series that I'd try and keep the episodes shorter, is that governance solves everything. Now, I've gotta be careful here because I help family businesses to put governance in place that allows them to separate the boundaries between the family and, and the business side of things. So it might sound a bit counterintuitive for me to come on and go, well, that's a myth. What I mean by, it, and it's slightly nuanced, is that governance can be a fantastic tool to help formalise and capture the essence of a family business and harness that and, and create a force for good as a result of um, that process. But it's not the governance itself that does that is the conversations and discussions that go into creating that governance. So it might be that people say, well, the solution to every challenge that you're facing as a family business is a family charter. And again, whilst they can be very useful, the discussions and conversations and interactivity that happens between families as part of the process of putting that charter together as long as it's detailed enough and meaningful in, in terms of what is actually being discussed then that becomes of value and can help solve some of the challenges that you're facing. An example of this is around say a values and a, a family mission statement which can often form part of a charter. Is If that's just full of a bunch of buzzwords that everybody's googled and gone yeah that's okay and stuck on a a bit of paper everyone signs up to it it doesn't have any real meaning to it so if that's what's been done to try and resolve where you are going as a family then it's not going to have much impact at all however if you approach it in a much more meaningful manner and look at okay what is the vision of us as individuals what do we want out of our lives and what role can our family business or family enterprise play in that having those conversations together as a family can then lead to much more positive outcomes that may well be captured in some form of vision statement or a family charter or you might create specific governance forums such as a family council in order to help improve communication between the business and the family but just setting one up because you've been told it's a good idea won't make it as impactful as looking at what it is you're trying to achieve and how are the best ways to do that now again a lot of the models that are used and this is not a criticism of any of the models or any of the academic research that goes on because it's all fantastic it's all adding to what we know and understand about how family businesses operate but if we accept that we are all individuals, if we accept that our families are unique in the sense of the personalities that make it up, it's then very hard to say that a particular model or a particular way of doing something fits every single family business. What I tend to find in the work that I do is that the answers and solutions lie within you as the business-owning family. It's not for me to come in and go, here's a tick box exercise, here's some values buzzwords, here's a family charter, change the logo at the top to your business logo and sign the bottom. None of that's meaningful. What is meaningful is having proper conversations about what's important to you collectively as a family, what's important to you individually, and how the business can then be an enabler to allow you to live fulfilling lives and have a positive impact on those around you. Now, that might sound quite grandiose, But again, as I've commented on a few of these shows in this series, my personal viewpoint is life is not a rehearsal. We can't come back next time and do things differently. Therefore, let's aim for having as big a positive impact on the world around us as we possibly can. And as I see it, a family business is a fantastic way to be able to do that, either directly or through it becoming an enabler for you to do what brings you joy. Gaining clarity on all of that and then utilising the frameworks and models that are available is a fantastic way of harnessing the power and the ability for family businesses to do the fantastic work that family businesses do. I hope that this has been a useful episode where we've looked at some of the common myths that I've seen around family businesses and the way that they're used. As a fear tactic, as a scare tactic, or to force families into action. Take them as you will, but my view is it's far better to be in control of your own destiny and understanding what success looks like for you so that you can make the steps necessary uh, in order to achieve that rather than be dictated to by. use of some of these statistics and myths as i say penultimate episode in the series today last episode is coming up next week which is an interview of me by martin stepek and i'll be returning a few weeks later with a new series uh, looking at how we redefine family wealth as ever if there's anything i've covered in the show that resonates and you want to get in touch to talk about it then please feel free to get in touch My email address is russ at familybusinesspartnership.com. You can also head over to either the podcast website or that familybusinesspartnership.com website and find ways of getting in touch with me there. So until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.